Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, and welcome back to Gestational Diabetes Club. Now, today we're talking all about blood sugar levels, as we kind of always do, but specifically, we're going to be talking all around your blood sugar targets. So what those numbers actually mean, why those recommendations are what they are, um, when you should be testing, why you should be testing, all of those sorts of things. And I really wanted to talk about this because I know that it can be super confusing and you might be in this boat where you're just feeling really, really frustrated, feeling like your blood sugar targets are kind of arbitrary because you might have a certain blood sugar target. For example, your fasting target might be five and then somebody else might have a fasting target of 5.5 and your blood sugar might normally be coming in under that 5.5 range, but you're still being classified as above the target because yours is five. But if you were that other person with a different target range, then you would be totally fine. So yes, it can be absolutely annoying, confusing, and just seem a little bit unfair. And I can completely appreciate that. So I really wanted to break down the research and the evidence that has led to the recommendations that we have for blood sugar targets so that I can clarify some of these things for you and maybe just clear up some of the confusion. Now, bear in mind that in this episode, I am absolutely not here to be telling you what your blood sugar targets should be, and you should absolutely always listen to your doctor and your treating team and go by the targets and recommendations that they have provided to you. And you can absolutely always go to them with your questions or concerns that you might have, but please do not take what I'm saying in this episode as what your targets should be because it can be really individual and so it's really up to a discussion with you and your treating team. So another thing just to bear in mind is that I'm in Australia, so I will be talking about our processes here in Australia and the numbers that we use here in Australia, because I know that we do use different units of measurements to our friends over in the US. So I'm really sorry if you're listening from over there, you might need to just do some quick conversions. I haven't done those for you, but it's also not so important what specific numbers I'm putting out there in that episode, in this episode. It's more about the concepts and how those numbers have been developed, if that makes sense. And like I said before, I'm not trying to tell you what your targets should be. I'm a dietitian. I'm not a diabetes educator. I'm not a doctor. So I'm really just interpreting results of studies and giving you information, not providing recommendations. All right. So first of all, let's talk about why you actually need to be testing your blood sugar levels and why it matters if you have high blood sugar levels. And hopefully you're already fairly across this. I'm sure you're well aware that there are risks associated with high blood sugar So let's talk through it. We know that in the long term, so if you had, say, type 1 or type 2 diabetes and you had high blood sugar over many years, then there can be some really major complications. You might be familiar with people with diabetes having to do things like get their eyes checked and get their feet checked and things like that. And that's because the small blood vessels can be damaged from high blood sugar. 
So things like your eyes and kidneys and all those small nerve endings in places like fingers and toes are particularly vulnerable. And it's really important to manage things from that perspective. And then over time, if your blood sugar is not well managed, large blood vessels can also be damaged and can lead to things like cardiovascular disease. So we're talking stuff like heart attacks and strokes and um, hypertension, which is bad news over a prolonged period of time. And during pregnancy, you're probably aware that, again, there are some risks. And I suppose like these are only relatively newly talked about and appreciated. So we've got things like preeclampsia, high blood pressure, um, having birth trauma, needing a cesarean section, early inductions, things like jaundice, baby needing to go to special care nursery or the ICU, or your baby being born really big or having hypoglycemia after they're born because they've overproduced insulin. So there's, there's also potentially risks for your baby in the longer term around their metabolic health. So they may be more predisposed to having a high BMI and developing metabolic conditions like type 2 diabetes and heart disease later on in their own lives as well. So it's obviously really, really important to continue checking your blood sugar levels, make sure it's not consistently trending high. And importantly, you can absolutely minimize your risk of any of these things happening by keeping your blood sugar in the target range. So if you're doing all the things like you're doing all the lifestyle things like eating well, moving your body, you're drinking enough water, managing your stress, may or may not be taking medications, you're doing that consistently and you're keeping your blood sugar nice and stable and tightly controlled, then the risks are really minimized and you can place yourself back at a low risk of having any of these complications or detrimental outcomes later in life. So it's been pretty well known for quite some time that having high blood sugar in general is bad. And it's also fairly well known that having high blood sugar during pregnancy is bad. But previously, the thought process around having high blood sugar during pregnancy was more so angled at the risk of having overt diabetes, so something like type 2 diabetes, and not necessarily around the risks associated with that actual pregnancy and its outcomes around birth and the baby's health. So until relatively recently, the way that we tested for gestational diabetes reflected this. And the cutoffs for being diagnosed were more so to see if you had over diabetes as opposed to that special type of pregnancy diabetes. So the cutoffs were fairly generous. Those numbers were more like 5.8 for your fasting blood sugar level, which is quite a bit higher than the typically used like around 5 and 11.1 for two hours after you'd done the oral glucose tolerance test. So quite a bit higher than the thresholds that we see now, and we'll talk about that more later in this episode. Now, the reason that the testing criteria has changed is really because of this one landmark study that was published in 2008, and that's called the HARPO study, which stands for Hyperglycemia and Adverse Pregnancy Outcomes. And really, what the researchers wanted to look at here was whether there were still negative associations between having high blood sugar and only kind of slightly high blood sugar, so not as high as the previous testing cutoffs for overt diabetes, but still higher than the quote-unquote normal range. So to see if there were associations between having that slightly elevated blood sugar and then negative outcomes in pregnancy and around birth. And this was a huge study. It looked at over 23,000 women. And what they did 
was an oral glucose tolerance test with all of these women, which is our gold standard testing approach here in Australia. I think in the US it's a bit different and you might do a glucose challenge and then proceed to the oral glucose tolerance test if that was abnormal. But we're talking here about the oral glucose tolerance test where you do your um, fasting blood sugar test and then you drink the 75 grams of the sugar drink and then you get your blood test at one hour and at two hour. And so they did that oral glucose tolerance test with all of these women and then they split them into two groups. So if people had met those thresholds for overt diabetes, then they didn't follow them up so much. So with those previous like quite lenient blood sugar targets, if people were above those targets, then they didn't really need to follow them up in this study because they wanted to look at all of those people that they captured who had blood sugar that was either in the normal range or up to those targets. So they were capturing all of the people who might have had blood sugar levels that were not high enough to be classified as overt diabetes, but still relatively high. And they also wanted to look at the people who had the normal blood sugar levels so that they could compare. And then what they were looking at was whether there were associations between having that slightly higher blood sugar and some primary outcomes, which included having a birth weight over the 90th percentile, cord blood serum C peptide level, and don't be freaked out by that, that is really just a proxy for the baby's insulin levels. So they were looking at the um, cord blood serum C peptide level and whether that was in the 90th percentile, section delivery, and the baby having hypoglycemia after birth. And then there were also some secondary outcomes they were looking at. So they looked at premature delivery, birth injury, baby needing to go to the ICU or the special care nursery, jaundice and preeclampsia. So again, they wanted to see if there were associations between this slightly elevated blood sugar that was below the cutoffs for overt diabetes and all of those outcomes. Now, very interestingly, they found some strong associations so they found that there was definitely an association between having high blood sugar levels at any of the time points, so fasting one hour post or two hour post based on that oral glucose tolerance test they did, and having a baby with a birth weight above the 90th percentile, having the cord blood serum C peptide, so the baby's insulin levels above the 90th percentile. And they also found some weaker associations, but still there, for having those high blood sugar levels and having cesarean sections, baby having hypoglycemia and all of those other secondary outcomes. So that was premature delivery, birth injury, baby needing to go to ICU, having jaundice or preeclampsia. So it's pretty clear that even if blood sugar was not really, really high and not high enough to be classified as overt diabetes, you're still definitely at risk of those outcomes and it really needs to be managed. So that study has really informed different testing criteria that we use typically now. So I've got some more to say about this study. So bear with me. There's some other interesting things about it. I think that it's interesting that at none of the particular time points, so fasting blood sugar, one hour post blood sugar or two hour post blood sugar, that they, they didn't find that having high blood sugar at one of these time points was necessarily um, worse. So they didn't see that, for example, if you had high blood sugar but only fasting, that that was associated with more of these negative outcomes or 
you know, they didn't find that if you had fine fasting blood sugar levels, but really high one hour blood sugar levels, that that was associated with more of these outcomes. It wasn't really like that. They, they didn't necessarily find that everybody would consistently have high blood sugar at all of these time points. They might've only been high at one of the time points, um, but still have some of these negative outcomes, if that makes sense. But there were some certain time points that were more predictive of certain things. So for example, they did find that if you had high fasting blood sugar level, that was the highest predictor of having high insulin levels in the baby. And they also found that the only time point that was associated with the baby having hypoglycemia was having elevated blood sugar after one hour. But there, like I said, there wasn't really much difference between the rest of them. So I think that that is just quite interesting. So when you're interpreting your test results, it's not necessarily worse if your fasting blood sugar level was high as opposed to your one hour or your two hour post meal blood sugar level. I might also just mention here, because it's also quite interesting, that some people are recommended different time points to be testing their blood sugar. So some people might be recommended to test at one hour after their meal, and some people are recommended to test two hours after eating. And in Australia, our most common guideline is to go for that two-hour mark. We know that the peak of your blood sugar concentration is likely to occur around that one to two-hour mark. And it is likely to be different, like it's going to be higher, most likely at that one hour time point versus the two hour time point. Both are helpful to know about. And I would say that it seems like in Australia, that two hour time point is based off some of the research that we've had since the Harpo study, which gives us some more indications for what those cutoffs should be. And they were looking at that two hour time point as opposed to the one hour time point. So we have more information informing what that number to look for at the two hour mark should be as opposed to the one hour. So in that sense, it seems more sensible to go with the two hour cutoff. But I've also seen a little bit of research kind of debating which is the most helpful to be looking at. And a couple of studies that have found that testing at that one hour mark potentially gives tighter control around blood sugar levels and might mean that insulin is initiated less frequently. Um, And I've also seen some other research in 2021 that found that testing at 90 minutes after eating was helpful and more predictive for certain outcomes like gestational weight gain and preterm birth. But these are potentially smaller, less significant studies than those that have informed the cutoff thresholds for that two-hour post-meal target. And we'll talk about that soon as well. So now back to the Harpo study. We have some really good confidence that this was a really comprehensive study. It was quite well done. They controlled for a lot of variables. They obviously looked at a huge number of people. So we can be fairly sure that the results they got are strong. And this study has then gone on to inform a lot of our testing criteria now. So in Australia, our guidelines and the WHO guidelines recommend that we now do differentiate between gestational diabetes and overt diabetes based on that oral glucose tolerance test. Um, And so that means that we've adopted different targets and different thresholds to what we had before. So now it's a lot stricter based on the fact that we can see that there are negative associations when blood sugar is slightly higher than normal, but not as high as having overt diabetes. 
So the way they worked this out was using an odds ratio, which is basically the strength of the association between two things. So they're looking at the strength of association between having a slightly high blood sugar level and those adverse outcomes. So they've made those new target recommendations at an odds ratio of 1.75. So now if your fasting blood sugar level is greater than or equal to 5.1 to 6.9, your one hour post level is greater than or equal to 10, or your two hour post level is greater than or equal to 8.5 to 11, you'd be classified with gestational diabetes. And if you had overt diabetes, then your numbers would need to be greater than 7 for fasting, greater than 10 for the one hour, and greater than 11 for the two-hour test. Now, if you're paying attention just then, as a little side note, you might have noticed that the one-hour threshold is the same for both gestational diabetes and overt diabetes. And that's because we don't have an established threshold for the diagnosis of diabetes at that one-hour mark. So it's just the same for both of them. And importantly as well to know that you'll be diagnosed if your blood sugar is high on any of those levels. So like I said before, you might not test high on the fasting, the one hour and the two hour level, but if you're high on any of them, it's enough to diagnose you with gestational diabetes. And again, like your numbers might only be slightly above the range, but you'll still be diagnosed. And that's really important, actually. And I say this a fair bit and you might be thinking, oh, like I was only kind of above the range, like I was barely above it. And so I really don't want to have to have this diagnosis. But honestly, like it's so much better to know what's going on with your blood sugar and prevent any of these negative outcomes from happening than it is to be kind of flying blind and not knowing if you are causing or not you, sorry, but whether any damage is being caused by not managing it. And really like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like, yes, it's annoying. Yes, it sucks having the label. Yes, you have to test your blood sugar multiple times a day. I get it. There are so many downsides for sure. But at the same time, like if it means that you're implementing some nice healthy habits, then you get to take those with you for life and you get to make sure that your baby is going to be absolutely as healthy as they can be. So, you know, I think that it's it's so important to just accept the diagnosis. Also, please appreciate the fact that gestational diabetes is a dynamic thing. So your blood sugar levels are likely to change over time. And that usually means that they increase throughout the duration of your pregnancy. So just because they're slightly above the threshold now doesn't mean that they might not get higher in the future. So it is so, so much better to be safe than to be sorry. Now let's talk about when you're testing at home and what sort of blood sugar levels you should be aiming for for your fasting and for your post-meal blood sugar results. So interestingly, there isn't really definitive research around what the ideal targets are. And so after the Harpo study, these targets were based on being two standard deviations above the average blood sugar for a normal pregnancy without gestational diabetes and with no known risk factors. What I mean by two standard deviations away is that they've extrapolated some of the data to really make an educated guess, I suppose, about what a safe level is. And adding to that, there's been a couple of randomized control trials since the HARPO study that have looked at whether there are benefits of keeping blood sugar under certain targets. So this has also helped to inform recommendations. So one of these studies looked at keeping fasting blood sugar under 5.3, two-hour post-meal blood sugar under 6.7, 
And another of these studies looked at keeping blood sugar under 5.5 for fasting and below 7.2 for that two-hour post-meal. In both of these studies, they found benefits to keeping blood sugar under these numbers. So just taking the lower number of both of those two, then there's definitely benefits to aiming for fasting blood sugar below the 5.3 mark and for aiming for below 6.7 for the two-hour post-meal blood sugar target. So again, you can see that, like I said before, it makes sense looking at that two hour because that's what these two studies have focused on rather than the one hour. And you can see why most of the time recommendations are around that kind of five to 5.3 level for fasting and around that 6.7 level for the two hour post meal. There's, there's also more observational data for the fasting to be 5 or 5.1, and that would probably be more related to the HARPO study for that recommendation, and that's just being safe rather than sorry. Now, it's also just so, so important to appreciate that everybody is so different and metabolizes glucose differently, and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything wrong if you've got different blood sugar targets to what I have talked about here. And there might be good reasons for that. And the best thing you can do is ask your team and ask your doctor about it. And just taking things out of context for a second, because it might help just to give you an example of how there can be differences in blood sugar targets. So let's say in terms of just regular diabetes, so take gestational diabetes out of it for a second. There are definitely times when people might have more or less leeway for their blood sugar. So For example, if we had somebody who was in their 30s, had type 1 diabetes and wanted to start trying for a baby, they would need to have really, really strict blood sugar control. So their targets would be like really tight, similar to yours. Versus if we had somebody who was elderly, they've just been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, they've got a raft of other medical conditions, they take a whole lot of medications and they want to optimize and prioritize their quality of life, then they might have much more leeway in terms of what their blood sugar thresholds are because it's it's you know it's in line with different goals so remember that that everybody is different your doctor may well be taking other things into consideration when looking at the overall picture of you and your health and what they've set your targets to be Now, another important point is that looking at trends is much more important than focusing on your individual blood sugar numbers. So if you ever have a one-off high reading, it's not so much of an issue. But if you are having lots and lots of blood sugar readings that are higher than these targets, and they're always consistently at the same time, or if we're able to notice a pattern, then that's quite predictive and telling that there might be something going on that needs to be managed. And that might mean that you need to start medication or insulin or whatever it might be. And part of our guidelines suggests that clinicians might look at two readings in the same week, particularly if they're at the same time, and take that as enough information to be looking into additional therapy options. Because obviously you don't want to let high blood sugar run for too long. So practitioners are usually pretty quick to get onto this. It's not a hard and fast rule. Every practitioner and clinician is probably fairly different in this, but just keep that in the back of your mind as well, that having two readings above normal may be cause for concern. And the other thing is that your doctor or your diabetes educator may be recommending that you test outside of these typical testing times. So 
That might be if you're on insulin and maybe you're prone to hypos or potentially you need to test before driving or exercising or if you've had hypos overnight, then it might make sense to do some extra tests around bedtime and overnight just to make sure that you stay safe. And again, if you're sick or if you've got symptoms that could indicate hyper or hypoglycemia, And again, just be in touch with your care team around all of that and absolutely go with the advice that you've been given. And on that note, your diabetes educator should be the one that is setting you up with your meter, providing you advice on how to actually use that and giving you instructions on how to access strips and all of that sort of stuff around the actual testing. But I thought I might just also include some troubleshooting notes in case you're having some trouble and you're struggling seeing numbers that don't seem right, don't make sense and some things that you can do. So first of all, if your number seems wrong, wash your hands and test again. Really, really common. So sometimes if you've got residue on your hand, it can affect the blood sugar levels. So make sure your hands are always clean and then retest. And then some other questions you can ask yourself. So have your strips expired? Have you got the right strips for the right meter? Did you get enough blood on the strip? Did you put it in the right way? Has the strip been affected by the heat or the light? Was it clean? Was it too hot or cold? Was the battery low? So there's a few things that you can do and ask your diabetes educator around this. They're really the best person to be able to advise you on all of that. But if you do get a reading and you think it's really weird and it shouldn't be as high or as low as it is, then test again and see which one seems more normal based on the situation. And just in general, just test once and just take that one reading and only test again if it seems really unusual or you're confused about it. Because otherwise you will do your head in. These meters aren't perfect and they are likely to show different results at different times. So please just do yourself a favor and just go with the first number that you get. I think that brings us to the end of this episode. I really hope that it's given you some more insight and clarity into your blood sugar targets and hopefully just made you more understanding of the whole situation. Now, like always, check in with your team about any of this if you want to ask them questions or you're concerned or worried about anything. You can also always reach out and send me a DM if you want to chat through anything from this episode or if you've got any other recommendations for topics or anything like that. And you know all the things you can subscribe. If you haven't already, leave me a rating and review. I would love that so much. Um, But anyway, I'm going to leave you there and we'll chat soon. Bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.